Welcome to Season 2 of the Inclusive Schools Spotlight podcast series, brought to you by the Educating All Learners Alliance and the Center for Learner Equity. This season, we are talking all about shifting mindsets. The Inclusive School Spotlight series highlights schools that are using innovative and promising practices to improve learning opportunities and outcomes for students with disabilities. I'm your host, Cashay Owens, joined by my co-host and colleague, Laura Stellatano. We are excited to introduce you to Fenway High School in Boston, Massachusetts. Fenway enrolls about 400 students, 23% of whom are students with disabilities, and 57% come from homes where English is not the primary language. I'm joined by the head of school, Dr. Jeffrey Walker, to talk about the evolution of the school's approach to providing inclusive and specialized services for students with disabilities, their cohort model, and about the ways they build staff commitment and capacity. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So we are so excited to learn more about Fenway High School. We know that there are so many cool things happening there. Um, Fenway is part of the Boston Public School System and has been in operation for almost 40 years. I would love if you could just sort of walk us through how the school's philosophy and approach to educating students with disabilities has evolved over time. Yeah, so Fenway was founded almost 40 years ago as a small school within a large comprehensive high school is part of the coalition of essential schools. And a couple of our founding principles were around social justice. And we were a school that has always prided ourselves on, in building strong relationships and developing culturally responsive and relevant curriculum for students. But we're, we're not always a school that has had uh, high numbers of, of students with disabilities. And so I would say about 20 years ago, um, in collaboration with the Boston Public Schools, we added a strand and a group of students with specific learning disabilities. And then about three years ago, we added uh, a, a number of students uh, with autism. And so we, our journey is that, that we've really had to think about um, what our commitment to social justice looks like in our practices and how we can be uh, a most inclusive school for all of our students. And so we've really been trying to kind of close the gap between our espoused values uh, of inclusion and our practices. And so we've been doing a lot of work to make sure that, um, that we're as inclusive as possible. Um, so you mentioned that Fenway has some specialization for students on the autism spectrum. Um, while also being a school that really values inclusion and social social justice. Can you tell us about how Fenway is navigating offering specialized support while also um, being inclusive? Yeah, when when we went to add the program for, for students with autism, there was a lot of concern and conversation around how we could both service the students and meet their needs, and at the same time, uh, be an inclusive school and make sure that they were really interwoven into everything that we do at Fenway. Um, and, and we're still on that journey of doing that to, to the best that we can. One of the aspects of both um, adding uh, more students with disabilities uh, and, and a variety of disabilities to Fenway High School that has also been happening at the same time as our, our population of students learning English has increased as well. 
And so it is important to mention that the kind of the complexity of the work for teachers um, has increased. So, you know, teachers who didn't necessarily have as many English learners or students with disabilities in their classroom now have those students. And so it, it, the, the we've, we've been forced and, and are really working to change our practices um, and, and improve our practices to be responsive. And so one of the things that we've seen is just some of the practices um, that are good for, for all of our students, including our English language learners, including our students with disabilities, including all of our students, um, some of those effective practices are really cutting across different subpopulations. Um, and so um, as we've gone through a sort of transition or adaptation to service our students with disabilities, we've also been talking about how we're servicing our students that learn English. And of course, some of those um, students with disabilities are also learning English. And so, um, so you know, we've done a lot of professional development on universal design for learning. Uh, we, we will continue to do more for that. Um, and we've also thought about those types of structures that we need to try to get small, to get more adults who can provide um, more individualized services for students. We've worked to decrease our class size, um, you know, pretty significantly. So we're, we're for, in some of our classes, we're down to a class size of about 20 with a teacher and a paraprofessional in the room um, and as well a, a coach. Uh, both a coach who can focus on uh, supporting students with disabilities and um, making the the uh, shifts in planning that are so important to make sure that the, the curriculum is accessible to all, uh, as well as a, a coach to support uh, students learning English and, and doing kind of similar work for accessibility. So, you know, I, I think that there are a lot of schools out there that are are seeing shifts in populations and that are trying to think about how to be equitable in their practices and how to service all students um, together. And, um, and you know, those, those changes don't happen in, in vacuums. And so, um, so that, that's something that we've, we've been thinking about and really working towards is how do we meet the uh, needs of all of our diverse learners. Thank you for sharing that. I think that that's kind of helpful to hear about, you know, you're, you're not just designing for students with disabilities, there's students with all kinds of diverse learning needs. And a lot of the things that work for one group work for all students um, and just make the school a stronger place. What it looks like right now is there's a good amount of time that the students are in a classroom um, that, that is uh, with uh, other students with autism. And there's a lot of uh, adults pushed in support. We have for every 10 students, we have about uh, three paraprofessionals and a teacher. And they're mostly uh, providing uh, ABA, uh, Applied Behavior Analysis uh, uh, Services, but there are several opportunities that we've identified to include students, um, depending upon the student. And, and as we know, all, all students are, are different, but depending upon the student, we have some students who push in and are in uh, other classes with um, neurotypical students at different times during the day. Uh, we also have a group of students with autism who run the school store every day. And that's something that happens almost every day. And so they're, they're kind of in a, a leadership role 
Um, and we also uh, include all of the students in, in advisory time. So we, we found sometimes where we feel like it can work. We have a, a best buddies program that, that we think is working well. Um, and we're definitely still learning about, um, about how, to, how to include them in the best way possible. Um, we, we've been at it for three years. We're, we're committed to it, but we also know we're not uh, perfect yet. Right. I think that's so important to really recognize your strengths and where there are still uh, growth edges and to be to be open to that. So it's exciting to hear how how Fenway is open to evolving and shifting as new information becomes available. Um, another really interesting sort of factoid about Fenway is the use of the cohort approach where smaller groups of students learn together as part of a house and loop with the same teachers over several years. Um, can you tell us what about this approach do you think works well for students with disabilities and diverse learning needs? Um, what are some challenges that you've noticed come up with this approach as well? Yeah, I think there's a lot of uh, kind of fundamental advantages of cohorting and looping. Primarily, it supports the ability for schools to be uh, a little bit more human and, and base um, base the services on deep relationships, deep relationships with uh, students and relationships with parents and families. And we know how fast a school year can go by. And so adding two or three school years uh, allows for depth in those relationships. And that's something that we believe uh, supports all students. Um, and it certainly can support students with disabilities as well. Teachers get to know the students as learners and their unique needs with depth. So for students who, for, for uh, students and teachers, for example, who are looping from last year, they can kind of come in in September and really hit the ground running. So um, a, a lot of advantages in terms of relationships and in terms of um, kind of knowing students' academic needs really well. Some of the challenges are that uh, in our schedule, technically what we're doing is we're taking a small school and breaking it down into, into smaller schools. And that creates a lot of uh, sort of barriers around uh, some, um, some ability to, to kind of mix and match different students into different classes. Um, so, so that can be a challenge when you're trying to meet a need for a particular student in a particular class. There's not always uh, sort of classes that align um, because things are, are breaking down in, in such small units. The other challenge can be that, you know, while we have an advantage of creating a really strong and positive in-group, teachers spend a lot of time in their classroom making sure that group dynamic is uh, a really positive, loving, and, and, and great place for students to come in and learn and, and be themselves. Um, there's also sort of the out-group dynamic. So within student groups, you have students who are in cohorts who get to know one another really well, but they're not necessarily spending time with, with all different students. And our cohorting is, um, you know, it's uh, uh, heterogeneous. So we have all different types of students in the cohorts, but sometimes there can still be opportunities where we're trying to think, how do we zoom out and sort of do school-wide things uh, for all of our students? But overall, the approach of cohorting is a really powerful um, uh, sort of aspect of our school that, that helps us build relationships. And that's something that serves all of our students. Right, right. And I imagine that those relationships just... Um, 
you know, are leveraged by the dedication that your team has, which I know is such a critical part of, of Fenway's success and, and of Fenway's wins. Um, can you talk a bit about how your team has really um, worked together to be more inclusive and effective at educating all students? Um, I know that there's been a lot of work done to build the right mindset among staff and develop the right expertise. Um, and maybe discuss what challenges you face with that, with that piece of professional development along the way. Um, and on the flip side, maybe there's some success stories to share. Yeah. I think our work to become a, a more inclusive school and a truly inclusive school has been a real uh, adaptation and commitment to improvement and to kind of an evolution um, to, to really be a school that that can say we're about social justice and that can kind of walk walk the walk. Um, th- there's a couple of different practices that we've done. Um, one has been a commitment to have all of our educators uh, dual certified, so certified in their content, but also having their special education certification. And that's a commitment of our educators and our teachers. And and that's also something that we've uh, been able to do some uh, fundraising and and grant writing to be able to fund all of our teachers to be able to go um, and get that training. And and that does two things for us. It it both sort of helps check a box of having a dual certification, but it also, and the real purpose of it is to try to build capacity um, so that as we're doing a model where we have um, students with disabilities uh, in classrooms, we have teachers that are feeling capacitated to to engage in practices that are serving those students. And so that's been uh, really important. And it's been, it's been a bit of a, uh, a challenge as well. We, we've seen some successes. Uh, most, almost all of our, our teachers are there, but not all yet. Um, and uh, we've, you know, certainly had to kind of find where we can support people who haven't been able to get their certification yet. Um, I would also say uh, another another challenge that we've we've had has been um, in scheduling, and I think that one thing that uh, that often schools realize, particularly in scheduling, but also just in other changes, is sometimes when you make a change, it has other uh, impacts. And some of those are intended and some might be unintended. An analogy can be a little bit like a set of dominoes. You make a change in a schedule, you make a policy change, um, a lot of dominoes can fall. And so we really try to think through all of the different aspects of those changes. But what we realized was that in many ways, in order to become a more inclusive school, we had to make some fundamental shifts in how we were operating. And so in some ways, it wasn't just an easy um, sort of, hey, let's let's include these students. What we had to do was essentially develop a whole new model, almost a school redesign with our house structure um, so that uh, so that students um, could be fully included and, and could be uh really uh, feel and be a part of the school. And so in some ways it was hard to do that incrementally. We, we almost had to, to blow up some pretty important things and rebuild. And that, that's a scary thing to do for schools, um, but it was important for us to kind of stay grounded um, in, in, in our mission of making sure that all students um, have the opportunity to be with one another, to learn from one another, and to, to have access um, to, to the opportunities that they deserve. So 
that was a, a little bit about our journey. Again, definitely some successes, and we definitely recognize, you know, that there's still work for us to do, um, and, and we're still we're still adapting. But uh, we, we feel like we've made a lot of a lot of really important improvements over the last several years. Wow! Yeah, um, I'm curious with your cohort approach during the pandemic. Something that we've heard a lot about the challenges of educating students with interrupted in-person instruction during the pandemic was just the challenge of really building relationships and getting to know your students academically and with relationships. Um, How did that cohort approach uh, kind of play out at Fenway throughout the pandemic? I'm curious if um, you kind of saw any unique affordances or challenges from that approach. Great question. The pandemic was extremely challenging for Fenway, and I, I know that it was for many schools across the country. And what we saw, which I think some of the research is showing, but certainly what we saw at Fenway was that some of our students who um, are typically marginalized by school systems or who have uh, struggled with um, academic engagement uh, really struggled more during the pandemic. So it was um, it was something that was really exacerbating inequities and that was playing out at Fenway. Uh, so really big challenges both during the pandemic and, and certainly coming back to in-person in-school learning. Uh, we struggled with attendance. Uh, we struggle with attendance of certain populations, our students with disabilities, our English uh, language learners. These were populations whose attendance were particularly struggling. Um, and so what we had to do was um, make sure that we were responsive and doing our best um, to, to kind of adapt to those, uh, to those changes. Part of that was in staffing. We had to um, hire some more folks to put some more attention on uh, student support services uh, to support students' social emotional needs to be tracking their attendance. Um, so we made some significant investments in our student support team. And again, those are uh, are uh, are things that we we did for all of our students, um, but we were particularly concerned with certain populations of students when we were looking at our our data. The other thing that I would say was that um, over the last several years, um, the pandemics that that we were going through as a country and experiencing at Fenway were were also kind of an opportunity or um, we felt compelled to make sure that we were also rethinking our schooling strategy to try to come back from the pandemic and and be uh, more equitable and and be stronger to try to kind of rethink some of the practices of schooling. So so as we came out of the the pandemic, we did try on some new cohorting model um, that we believe um, was going to be more inclusive and better service our, our students with disabilities. And so at the same time as overall, the pandemic was hugely uh, uh, disruptive and challenging. What we've tried to do was, is to be responsive and to um, to take a, take a look in the mirror and sort of um, think about 
as we come back to in-person learning, what do we have to redesign to make schooling more equitable uh, for our students and for our community? Thank you. That's um, super helpful. We've we've heard that the for some the pandemic has kind of been a time to re-examine some practices uh, out of necessity. Um, the other follow up question I have is about this kind of mindset, cultural, and also training transformation that a lot of your staff has undergone. I'm curious if you have any specific stories that stand out in your mind what uh, that kind of highlight some of the change your staff has undergone, whether it be positive success stories or surprises that you all encountered along the way? I would say for us, an important story and transformation that we've gone through has been the addition of, of students with autism to Fenway High School. About three years ago, about three or four years ago, the Boston Public Schools came to us uh, and uh, asked us to uh, take a cohort of students with autism. And there was a lot of resistance within our community to doing that. I think some of the resistance was, was ableism and was thinking that students with autism uh, couldn't fit into our, our school, into our model. I, I think some of it was a fear around will we be able to offer these students what they need and will we be able to continue to be inclusive or are these students needs so great that we will not be able to be inclusive so a lot of fear um and and, and resistance and and i think that we worked through that and now as a community we really feel like the population of students that we have that includes students with autism makes us a much stronger and better and more vibrant community for all, for both our students with autism and having them, but also for our neuro neurotypical students. We're just a better school um, because we have a more diverse uh, population of learners. And that is something that I think a lot of um, adults and some students had to uh, kind of go through some transformation and certainly a lot of learning as well. Um, but overall, I think that that was really um, a story that uh, has spoken to us where we, we thought that uh, we might face challenges. We kind of went through them together. Um, and, and now we think that we're a lot stronger and still recognizing that um, we can still be even more inclusive um, for, for our students with autism and at the same time meet their needs. And we've developed a lot of um, innovative programming. And when I say me, I really have to give credit to uh, all of our teachers, particularly our teachers who are uh, specialized in, in supporting our students with autism, but really it's been a team effort. Um, and that's why, you know, uh, teachers being uh, willing to spend nights and weekends to get their special education certification um, and recognizing that our school is fundamentally transitioning to a, to an inclusive school and that that's going to take uh, a lot of learning. I think that that sort of transition over the last several years um, hasn't always been easy, but, um, you know, as our students are, are walking in the doors, um, we just feel like we're such a, a, a better, stronger um, community now 
uh, now that we have a more diverse learning population of students. Thank you. It's really helpful to hear kind of about that part of the school's journey. I think that makes the the work even more important and really kind of brings it to life a bit. A journey indeed. And I can see that you're sort of courageously making these big changes. Um, and that can be a, a nerve-wracking thing, especially when schools are expected to do a lot with, with less. Um, so what advice would you give to school leaders who are hearing this and maybe want to implement um, similar programs or similar structures in their schools? Yeah, I think a, a couple of thoughts. I, I think fundamentally that inclusion work in schools is a, a moral imperative. And so kind of starting with that base um, and making sure that uh, that you start with the why and that you're expressing that to, to all the different stakeholders, to our students, to our families, that, um, that you know, we, we have a moral responsibility to make sure that we're educating students in the least restrictive environment beyond the legal components. Um, and, and if we are a school that believes in equity and social justice, then we have to make sure that students with disabilities who so often have been failed uh, from our system and who the system really was not intended to serve, um, that, that we make the changes that we need to make so that we're a school that, that is fully inclusive and, and that supports all learners. So, so the, the first thing, and I think the most important thing is to be really grounded um, in, in the values uh, that, that the school has and that you have as a leader in terms of, um, in terms of inclusion. Um, the, the second thing I would say would be um, not to mistake the sort of easy or, or sometimes not easy, but sort of the, the technical solutions for, for some of the deeper um, uh, improvements or adaptive um, things that need to change in order for inclusion to be done well. So, you know, when we looked at things, we kind of initially thought, oh, we can we can make these schedule changes and re-cohort and kind of redo our, our house structure and then we will be inclusive. And what we realized was that there are some some deep shifts in kind of beliefs, attitudes, behaviors, practices um, that, that need to happen. And so it's not as easy as, as sort of checking a box. It's it's really a journey and a deep commitment. And, and to that end, really just being committed to staying the course, building capacity in your team and building allies. I think that anytime school leaders engage in deep uh, change work, that there, there is inevitably um, resistance. And, and some of that is, it can be really helpful to, um, to, to revi- uh, refine kind of the improvements that you're trying to make. And some of it, it really needs to be pushed on through. Um, and, and the final piece I would say is, is just in kind of pacing the change. Um, I think when you have something like a moral imperative to make changes to support students with disabilities, you want to do it right away and you want to see improvements tomorrow. And part of that is true. There's there's kind of the balance in in the um, in the need to make improvements right away, but also recognizing um, that it, it can take time to build capacity to support um, educators in their practice, uh, to support um, students and families in and and the community um, in the culture that you're trying to build. So at the same time as wanting to go fast, just kind of recognizing that deep work does take time and that you just got to stay committed to your moral imperative and 
uh, stay committed to the work. Um, but it can be hard work and, and certainly um, encourage everybody to, to do the best they can to take hard looks in the mirror and try to make improvements that, that are going to be best for their own community. Right. I'm hearing a, a common theme of commitment and um, what an incredible amount of commitment I'm sure it takes, but but such an important um, effort that's that's worth doing. And just want to thank you, Jeffrey, for taking time to share your insights with us. Um, we very much appreciate you joining us today. Thank you so much. Really appreciate your work, enjoying your podcast and uh, excited to continue listening. Great. And thank you to all of our listeners for um, checking in to the Inclusive School Spotlight series. This podcast is brought to you by the Educating All Learners Alliance and the Center for Learner Equity. For more resources and practical approaches that educators can use to enhance opportunities and outcomes for students with disabilities, check out the Educating All Learners Alliance resource library by visiting educatingalllearners.org and clicking the resources tab. To learn more about the work of the Center for Learner Equity, check out centerforlearnerequity.org. Thanks, and check out the other episodes in this series.